St. Mark from the 8th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Our gospel this morning is from Mark 8, verses 27 through 38, and can be found on page 1566 in your pew Bible. Mark records, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside. And he began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. That's what he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray? with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus, because nothing comes of worth from any other source. So, does anyone here relate to or just love Peter? You know, there are times when I read of Peter that I hear words spoken to me by my big brother, my much older brother. He said this to me. He goes, you know, your other foot would probably fit in your mouth. Why don't you try it out and see? In one verse, Peter 
is the hero. And just a few verses later, he's doing the will of Satan. Peter's mouth and his way of responding to things that he does not fully understand, well, that brings comfort and hope for me, to me. What joy to know Jesus' forgiveness. Can I get an amen? Amen. We hear in the gospel that Jesus took his disciples. They went up north to the area around Caesarea Philippi to get away from the crowds for a time. And uh, Caesarea Philippi is about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It was near Mount Hermon, and it was the source of the Jordan River. And so this little retreat, if you will, allowed Jesus and his disciples to be alone, and so that Jesus could attend to their instruction. And in modern-day terms of like and kind, we can envision this time as part of their seminary training. And what a dean of the seminary they had. Now, some professors in Christian seminaries, they will proclaim that all theology is Christology. So what's that? Well, that is if you solidly understand the identity of Christ, the rest of theology, which is the understanding of God, theos, is a piece of cake. If you understand who Jesus is, then understanding God and his nature is simple. Easy peasy. Apparently, Jesus thought the same thing because he was teaching his disciples about the nature of the Christ. Christ is a title, the Christ. And of course, in Jesus' case, this means that he was teaching the disciples about himself. He began by asking them to consider what the people, what the people were saying about him. And he asked very specifically, who do people say that I am? And the disciples came back with all kinds of wrong answers. John the Baptist. Others said Elijah. And others said, eh, one of the prophets. I don't know if they said eh, but they didn't know. And then Jesus moved on. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And he wanted to hear their personal confession. And of course, Peter was the first to put into words what the other disciples were thinking. He said, you are the Christ. And in this case, Peter got he got the words exactly right. It is like Peter, if we're going to put it to golf terms in the golf vernacular, 
It's like Peter sank a 50-foot putt for eagle. Hitch into a hole. And as any golfer or any spectator of golf, they know this, that the celebration of on the green is not meant to last. And the reason for that is that there is another hole to play. And there is another time to tee up the ball and to drive the ball until the round is finished. It ain't over till it's over. And we heard that even though he got the words right, Peter didn't really understand their true meaning. And then we witness Peter as he shanks his drive from the tee into the lake. He goes from hero to zero. And at this point in his ministry, Jesus knew that the disciples did not properly understand the, me the meaning of Peter's good confession. And that is the reason that he told the disciples to keep quiet about it for the time being. And that is also the reason that Jesus began telling them about the true meaning of Peter's confession. In today's gospel, it says this, it says, He, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and he must be killed. And after three days he will rise again. And he said this plainly. His disciples found this message to be deeply offensive. Peter, especially, took offense at these words, these words of Jesus. Peter took Jesus aside, we read, and he began to rebuke him. You know, we don't, we don't use that word rebuke very often. But it means that Peter really laid into Jesus. Peter actually tried to give Jesus a bawling out, a dressing down, a lecture. He's literally criticizing God. And of course, Jesus loved Peter too much to let him get away with that. We read that Jesus stopped. He did an about face. And he laid into Peter. Jesus used some pretty strong language too. He said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus could be gentle, but not this time. He blasted Peter. Now, just last week, we talked about how the devil continued to tempt Jesus. And one of the greatest temptations went something like this. This is not in the Bible, but this is your pastor's paraphrase, okay? So forgive me. Satan said something like this. Listen, Jesus, this whole cross thing, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot. And you have the power. And you can increase your following 
by just doing a few of those miracles. There is really no reason for you to follow through on that plan of yours to suffer. Everyone is expecting you to set up an earthly kingdom. Why not give them what they expect? And so when, when Peter took Jesus aside and scolded Jesus, Peter was acting as an agent of Satan. He was tempting Jesus to give up his road to the cross. Can you see that now? That's what he was doing. The cross is the main reason that the Son of God took on human flesh in the first place. The Old Testament declares that Christ must suffer, must die, and rise from the dead. This was the plan from eternity. This is exactly what Jesus was teaching his disciples when Peter interrupted him. Now hear this. The devil, oh boy, the devil is still at work trying to hide the cross. Our modern society often finds the cross to be offensive. It is a gruesome and it is a foolishness to the world. It is R-rated for violence and the world chalks it up to fantasy. Just a story about a sky man and his son. That's the world. Truly, it's hard to fathom to understand the shame and cruelty. And many will try to bury the cross message. Jesus loves these people. He loves them too much to let them get away with that. In today's gospel, it speaks to those who wish to hide the cross. And it says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. For example, some people say, all right already. We heard about the cross. Now, let's move on to other teachings of the Bible. To these people, Jesus would say, get behind me, Satan. You know, the Holy Spirit inspired St. Paul to write in 1 Corinthians 2. He said, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And yet, still some will ask, does every devotion need to talk about the cross? Or does Pastor Ken need to mention we preach Christ and him crucified every Sunday? And to these people, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. In Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And even so, some ask, Do we have to remind the children of that ugly cross every Sunday? To these people, Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. The devil, the world, our own sinful nature would do anything and everything to get the cross out of our lives. For it is on the cross that our Savior died and defeated the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature. It is on the cross that our Savior died, 
to take away our sins. And the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this in 1 Corinthians 1. He wrote, Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolish, foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Jesus does not mince words. He is blunt with Peter, and he is blunt with you and with me. Hear me. These words are not given to drive us away. They are given to move us back where we belong. Jesus did not tell Peter and the other disciples, so you are offended by my cross? He didn't say this. He said, well then, I unfriend you. All you guys are no longer my disciples. Away with you. That's not how it works. That's not how Jesus works. We read that he continued to teach them. He continued to prepare them. And when the time was right, the disciples had lived through the experience of knowing their master was dead on a cross. The time was right, and Jesus rose from the dead, and he appeared to them. In Luke 24, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Jesus has restored them to himself. And he does the same thing with us in spite of our rebellion. He calls us to follow him. He opens our eyes to the power of God in his crucifixion. And he shows us the forgiveness of our sins in his crucifixion. In his crucifixion, he shows us salvation and life everlasting. And for we know, we will receive all these things through the Holy Spirit's gift of faith in him. Through that same faith, we will follow him through death and into resurrection of everlasting life. Which promises does Jesus keep? Which promises does Jesus keep? All of them. Jesus has promised that life in this world will be hard for those who follow him. Their confession of faith may bring them shame in this world. It may even bring them death. Yet he has promised, whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. Those who have the Holy Spirit's gift of faith in Jesus Christ may lose everything in this world. But in the end, God promises eternal life. 
And that is why that we can say in all circumstances, through all challenges and all troubles, it's going to be okay. Jesus promised. In the name of Jesus, amen.